Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. Welcome in, NASCAR episode icon, five. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. The Sports Podcast. It we. is Wednesday, yeah. August 31st, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody... I hope you're having a great day, and I hope you are ready because it is coming. Winter is coming. The storm is coming. College football is coming. It's coming tomorrow on Thursday with a bunch of big games, and basically we get college football all day Thursday, Friday, Saturday with one game on Sunday and Monday. Today's show, we're going to do something a little bit different, though. It's kind of a quiet time in college football. It feels like this is the calm before the storm. Not a ton has happened since week zero ended on on Saturday and we reacted on Monday. What I want to do, though, is something fun on today's show. We're going to look at 10 storylines in two parts and 10 things that I think we'll learn in college football this weekend. Go through the biggest games, discuss Oregon. Cincinnati going to Arkansas, Ohio State with that defense, and look at 10 different storylines, things that we will learn this weekend, part one, part two. Then we'll come back, take a quick break, and just kind of recap some of the crazy, quirky things that have happened across fall camp since we last recorded on Sunday night. Jim Harbaugh with a very interesting quote uh, about his quarterback decision, and you better believe Jim Harbaugh is in peak Jim Harbaugh mode, even though it's still only August. Lou Holtz, how about Lou Holtz out of nowhere crushing Brian Kelly? We'll talk about that. Steve Sarkeesian with a comment that I don't really buy. We will discuss that as well. Uh, Really quickly, before we get started, just a reminder, make sure you're plugged in. First of all, Friday, big announcements. Big announcements across the board. Cannot wait. So fired up for Friday. So just make sure you're paying attention. At Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. At Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. I'm tired of teasing. I'm tired of saying what could happen and what will happen. Just make sure to pay attention. Big things ahead. This show is going to be really fun. And I do think it is going to take off in ways over the next couple months. So make sure you tune in to Friday's show. And then next week it is officially go time. Uh, obviously we will be reacting to week one on Tuesday, no Monday show, as I know many of you will be with family and friends on Labor Day. We got some great things coming. Cannot wait to share. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, 
I'll tell you, it's pretty straightforward, people. What I want to do today to lead the show, rather than just doing our, our week one picks, like we got Friday's show to really break down the games, also obviously the college football betting show with Aaron Torres, what I want to do is talk about 10 things that we should learn in week one of college football. What do I mean by 10 things we should learn in week one of college football? Well, in terms of what I mean by that, basically it really boils down to this. College football is no different than any other sport. We love it, we follow it, we consume it, we spend all offseason thinking about, and once last season ends, once this season begins, you go through spring, you go through fall camp, you have kind of an idea of what to expect from certain teams. And sometimes in week one, that team does exactly what you expect, and you look really smart, and you say, I, you tell your buddies, I told you that team stunk, or I told you that team was better than you thought, or that defense stinks, or that offense is going to be really good. But then there's also plenty of examples where stuff just happens that you can't anticipate. And so what I want to do is go through the big games, the big matchups, and some of the big storylines in the big matchups going into week one and tell you 10 things that I think we'll learn. And what I mean by, and to to kind of wrap before we get to the 10, I want to be clear on one thing. This is not where I make up hypothetical things that could go wrong. This is not going to be, we learn if Lincoln Riley's built the next great power at USC, if they put up 60 points on Rice, and if they only put up 30, it means that they stink. This is not, uh, you know, we'll learn if Marcus Freeman can coach. Well, Ohio State's a 17-point favorite against Notre Dame, and so... I don't think if, we, if Notre Dame loses by 25, that's kind of what we expect. So I don't think we're going to learn anything about Marcus Freeman. But I do think we're going to learn a little bit about Ohio State. I do think we're going to learn a little bit about Utah, who is going to Florida. And I do think there are quite a few other things that we will learn going into week one or coming out of week one. So let's get into it. Here are the 10 things that I think we will learn coming out of week one of college football. Number one, I think we're going to learn really quick if Ohio State's defense is actually improved or not. And listen, if you listen to a show like this or really listen to anything college football related in the offseason, this is one of the single biggest conversations that has happened this offseason as it pertains to the big picture of college football. Is Ohio State improved on defense? And if they're not, what does it mean for college football? Because while the Ohio State Buckeyes are obviously always one of the premier programs in college football, always talked about, the last couple of years, it hasn't been pretty on defense. Last year, they finished ranked 59th nationally in total defense. The year before, 60th nationally in total defense. And really, if you watched Ohio State over the last couple of years, it's been pretty clear, right? If they score 40, they're going to beat you. They're going to win, but it might be close, too close for comfort. And if you can somehow slow down that offense and you can do what Michigan did last year, what Oregon did last year, even what Utah did in a loss in the Rose Bowl last year, and that is run the ball right at them, they really have no answers. And so why it's interesting and why we'll learn a little bit going into this weekend is for two reasons. One, Ohio State brought in a new defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, who had a top 10 defense at Oklahoma State last year. New defensive coordinator, new scheme. I heard Ryan Day say that his team looked violent in practice over the last couple days. That's probably a good sign if you believe what the head coach says. But two, why this one is especially interesting to me is for the following reason. It is because if your defense is improved, I know Notre Dame's a top five team in the country, but there's a reason that, as I just said, Notre Dame's a 17-point underdog coming into this game. If your defense is actually improved, 
Notre Dame is actually a team that you should see it against. Now, that's not a criticism of Notre Dame. It's not to say they're overrated. It's not to say this, that, the other thing. But at the end of the day, Notre Dame has a first-year quarterback. Notre Dame lost a 1,000-yard rusher in Kyron Williams. Notre Dame lost its best wide receivers. Now, they do have a great tight end, Mike Mayer, coming back. But their leading returning receiver had 27 catches last year. One of their best offensive linemen is banged up and might not even play. That does not sound like a team that should go into the horseshoe on Saturday night and go score for score with Ohio State. And so why I believe we will learn about Ohio State in this defense is because this is a game where if you at home cannot get stops, if Notre Dame runs the ball right at you, that is a really bad sign. I think Ohio State wins no matter what, but I do think there are two very different conversations coming out of this game depending on how the game looks. If Ohio State wins this one 45-17 and it's never really that close, then I think we sit back on Monday and say, you know what, that defense is improved, they did exactly what we needed, and that team might be good enough to win a national championship. But if that final score is Ohio State 45, Notre Dame 38, then that probably means that it isn't going to be very much better against Michigan or Michigan State or Wisconsin or Iowa or some of the other teams that Ohio State plays this year. Again, I don't think Ohio State's going to lose. But if that defense isn't improved, I don't think we, they can win a national championship, and I think we will learn a little bit about them. Let's keep it going. The number two thing that I think we will learn this weekend in college football, it is whether the Pac-12 deserves our respect this year or not. And listen, you guys and girls know the deal. I live in Pac-12 country. I have, for the most part, been a defender of the Pac-12, but a couple things stand out. One, the reason the Pac-12 doesn't get the respect that it craves, I don't want to say the respect that it deserves because I don't think it deserves more respect. The reason it doesn't get the respect it craves is because they simply do not win enough big games on neutral fields, road games, home games, whatever. They don't win the games that matter. USC might finish with 10 wins in some years, and believe it or not, they did under Clay Helton, but it's never the big out-of-conference games. It's never the big bowl games. Uh, Same with Oregon has lost a bunch of early regular season games. Now, Ohio State last year was the exception. Then they come out and they lose a couple games that they shouldn't. The point I'm trying to make is that the Pac-12, to get the respect of people in college football, you've got to win big games. And I would argue that this year, it is more important than ever before because we don't know what the future of college football looks like, right? And that, to me, is why this, is, this weekend is so interesting with Utah going to Florida and Georgia playing Oregon in Atlanta on Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening. Why it's so interesting is because we don't know what the future of college football looks like, but what we do know is that whatever the postseason looks like and whatever the broader picture of college football looks like, it is going to be run by the SEC and the Big Ten. I don't know whether we're going to end up with 12 teams in the next version of the playoff or 16. I would venture to guess that significantly more than half of them will come from the Big Ten and the SEC. And so if, we're, if we have a, say, 12-team or let's just say 16-team playoff for, for simplicity's sake, I think we see four or five SEC teams and three, four, five Big Ten teams. Well, if you're not part of the Big Ten and you're not part of the SEC, what is the best way to prove that you belong in a postseason where you can compete for a national championship. Oh, it's to win big out-of-conference games, and that's why I think it is so important this weekend for these two teams. Now, I don't think Oregon is going to beat Georgia, but I will say, 
Georgia lost 15 guys off, off last year's team that are in the NFL now or 15 guys that are drafted, I should say. So it's not as though they're the Georgia from last year. But then, two on top of that, I, I would also say Oregon, you know, Dan Lanning's a former defensive coordinator. I think Oregon can make it respectable. I don't know that they will win that game. I don't think they will win that game. Utah, though, I hate to say it, there is a lot of pressure on Utah going down to the Swamp. Now, I know what a lot of people would sit there and say. It's the Swamp. It's Florida. It's an SEC team. It's a SEC home game. It's a night game. If you lose, whatever, it happens. I actually completely disagree. Utah is a preseason top 15 team. Utah is a team that a lot a lot of people, myself included, believe is good enough to make a college football playoff. And I don't know if uh, win a game there, but, but make a college football playoff. Well, Utah, if you want to be taken seriously as like a, an up-and-coming program and a force to be reckoned with, you have to go to Florida and win that game. And you have to go to Florida and win that game for this reason. These are not the, the, the vintage Florida Gators. First-year head coach, quarterback who has thrown 66 career passes in Anthony Richardson, and I know he's really talented, but 66 career passes, they're coming off of a 6-6 six and six regular season where Dan Mullen got fired. And so I'm just sitting here saying, if you're Utah, if you're the Pac-12, if you want respect, you can't go to SEC country and completely fall apart against the 5th, 6th, 7th, I would argue somewhere probably between like the 7th and ninth best team in the SEC this year. Florida's not better than Bama, Georgia. I don't think they're better than Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Ole Miss, Arkansas. So you get pretty far down the list, Texas A&M, before you start talking about the Florida Gators this year in college football. So if you're Utah, if you're the Pac-12, if you want respect, you're sending your best team into SEC territory against a team that you should beat. You're a slight favorite. That is a game that you have to win. Let's keep going. Number three, in terms of the things that I think that I will learn and I'm most excited to learn in week one of the college football season, is Georgia the next Bama? And what I mean by that is not like, are they going to win another title? Are they going to compete at the highest level? All that stuff. But as I told you, Georgia plays Oregon in Atlanta. I think they're going to win. I think it, you know, it's going to be probably somewhere in the double figures. But why I bring it up is because we know that Georgia won its first title in 40-something years, and they believe they are now ascending to the top of the sport where they are going to compete every year, year in and year out, with Bama and with Ohio State. And so when I look at Georgia, are you really on Bama's level, or did everything just break right last year? Because think about Bama. I remember, I've, I've been doing this for a long time, essentially since Nick Saban got to Alabama, I've been in some form professionally covering college sports. And I remember those first three, four years when Nick Saban really got it rolling. Every offseason, you would look at Bama, their roster, who they lost to the NFL, and you'd sit there and say, "Eh, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year somebody catches Bama. And every single year, it would not happen. And every single year, you'd be like, oh, it doesn't matter who Bama loses. As long as they have Nick Saban, they're going to recruit at an elite level. They are going to replace the players that they have. And they're not going to miss a beat. They might not win a championship every year, but they're going to be in the conversation. And then it comes down to if you catch them at the right time in the right year, are they maybe a little bit banged up like they were the year that LSU took, took them down in Tuscaloosa? Not to discredit Joe Burrow and crew, but Tua was less than 100%. But the point is, Bama every year is at the top of the sport. And now it's up to Georgia. Georgia, I know you lost 15 guys to the NFL draft. 
I know you lost five guys to the first in the first round. That's never an excuse at Bama. Remember, Bama lost six first-round picks last year, including the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith. They replace him, have a new Heisman Trophy winner, and make the, make the national championship game after winning the SEC. Well, Georgia, if you're on that level of Bama, you don't miss a beat. You come out, you beat Oregon, and you get things rolling. I do tend to think, by the way, that Georgia is basically already at that level. You go back the last five years, they've won four SEC East regular season titles. The year they lost to Bama in the title game, they lost to LSU, or they lost to Bama the following year, they lost to LSU, then then Florida was in it, then last year they go back to the title game. So four trips to Atlanta in five years, I kind of think they're already there, but I just bring it up to say that Georgia, if you want everybody's respect, and if you want to be talked about, I don't want to say everybody's respect, I take that back, but if you want to be mentioned in the same breath as Bama, every year a title contender, Go out, smack Oregon, and show everybody it doesn't matter who you lose. We're the freaking Georgia Bulldogs. Last one, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with the back half of the things that we will learn in week one. I think we're going to learn what kind of program the Cincinnati Bearcats are. Okay, so Cincinnati goes to Arkansas. How about them hogs? Big pig invasion, all that good stuff. And Arkansas is about a touchdown favorite. And, And I actually, you know, I like Arkansas coming into the year. We've talked about him on the show. I think K.J. Jefferson is maybe the most underrated quarterback in college football. They bring back a lot on the, uh, the offensive line. They've got some nice transfers. I like Arkansas. Cincinnati, though, to me, is one of the more interesting teams coming into college football, and here's why. We all remember last year's dream season. We all remember going to the college football playoff. We also remember them getting smacked by Alabama in the college football playoff, and there's obviously no shame in that, right? Alabama just beat the crap out of them because that's what Alabama does. They have more bigger, stronger NFL bodies than any team in college football. But what's interesting about Cincinnati, I don't think people realize this. They had nine guys drafted off of last year's roster. They had, obviously, look, Sauce Gardner was the fourth overall pick. Um, Sauce Gardner uh, ended up with the New York Jets. Desmond Ritter, their quarterback, was drafted. Jerome Ford, one of their running backs, was drafted. Their other defensive back, their other corner, Kobe Bryant, was drafted. And believe it or not, this is this is like one of those stats that you, that sounds made up, but it isn't, is they had the third most picks, most players picked in the 2022 NFL draft was the Cincinnati Bearcats. The only schools that had more players picked than Cincinnati were LSU, were, were Georgia, obviously, we know that, and LSU. That sounds absolutely crazy. Cincinnati, the Bearcats, had more players picked in the 2022 NFL Draft than Ohio State. They had more players picked in the NFL Draft than, Ohio, than Alabama, than Penn State, than Oklahoma, than Texas, than Tennessee, than Wisconsin, than Michigan. And I understand, you know, they were a veteran team. Alabama was young. Ohio State was young. So I'm not sitting here like, oh, they passed Ohio State as a program. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But Cincinnati is not a program that's supposed to have nine guys picked in one NFL draft, five in the top 100. Only that's exactly what happened. And now I'm curious to see what happens next. Because remember, Cincinnati next year is going into the Big 12. And Cincinnati is going to have to compete for at least a year or two with Oklahoma and Texas. But then going forward, they're going to have to compete with Oklahoma State, with Baylor, with Iowa State, with some of the, t- the programs in that conference. And so where I'm intrigued 
Are they a program where everything broke right last year? They had the right guys at the right time. The right guys came back for that extra COVID year. Or are they really like a sustainable program? You go to Arkansas and win that game. And I know Arkansas is in Alabama. It is in Georgia. That says a lot about your staying power as a program, especially when you remember the fact that, again, they lost nine guys to the first round, five guy, or nine guys in the NFL draft, five guys in the first round. I don't think they go to Arkansas and win. But you go to Arkansas and get that W. That shows exactly who you are, exactly who you are as a program, and exactly how far you've come. I don't think there's any shame if they lose and it's not close, but I do think it shows an awful lot if they do end up keeping it close or potentially pulling an upset. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break, come back. We will look at part two of the things that we learn, that we expect to learn in week one in college football, talk a little bit about LSU, which plays on Sunday, talk a little bit about Clemson, a couple other smaller stories that may or that, that you may or may not know coming into the weekend. Going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I want to keep the conversation going on the things that we will learn in college football in week one which is obviously coming up here in a few days. And to be clear, like, like let's just call a spade a spade. What this, what this is not about is making crazy bold predictions or predicting to overreact to something. As I said earlier, if USC wins by 60, that doesn't mean that we learned that they're the best team in the Pac-12. They might just be playing a really bad team. If Michigan has a really close game because Jim Harbaugh can't settle on a quarterback, it doesn't mean that Michigan stinks. It just means that maybe they're, they're basically using these opening two or three games in, uh, uh, as essentially a pseudo preseason. So I'm not going to overreact to stuff that, that really should have no meaning. Now, if, if either of those teams were to lose or something, then that's a conversation that's different. But I bring it up because I kind of want to focus on the big games, the big teams, and the big storylines. We did four. Let's wrap with the final six. And I'll start with this. I don't know exactly what we're going to learn about Penn State on Thursday night, but we're going to learn something. Let me explain. So first of all, if you have not seen the schedule, 
Penn State opens uh, at Purdue on Thursday night, a mega game, obviously just from the perspective that it's almost like that week zero game with Nebraska and Northwestern. There won't be a ton else going on. Everybody is going to kind of be watching that one. And so I bring it up because national TV game on Fox, everybody's going to be paying attention. And this is kind of an interesting year for James Franklin. Now, in James Franklin's defense, I've never really understood the, I guess, vitriol might be the right word. Like, like People just don't seem to like him, and I don't really get why. This is a guy that won nine games at Vanderbilt. This is a guy, how about this? He's won nine games four times at Penn State. He's won 11 or more, well, not more, but 11 games three times at Penn State. And yet, because he hasn't made a college football playoff, because he hasn't made a run at the elite of the sport, I think there's a lot of people that that really are just kind of in, you know, kind of out on him, I should say, after, you know, where we are now with Penn State. And what I would say about that, if you are one of the people that doesn't believe in James Franklin, well, the last couple of years have kind of given you a little bit of ammunition, right? Two years ago, it's COVID, whatever, we'll excuse it. But last year, Penn State goes seven and six. And we've talked about it a million times over the offseason. A couple breaks another way. They maybe aren't seven and six. They're maybe nine and three. A couple really close losses, weird stuff, injuries at the worst possible time. But the bottom line is they are, in fact, seven and six. And so why this, this Thursday night game at Purdue is interesting is, is, is for the following reason. It's not as though that James Franklin is on the hot seat. That's not what this is about at all. Remember, he signed a $75 million extension last season, even coming off a 7-6 and six year. But you, you can't lose this game if you're Penn State, right? Especially with, with James Franklin with what I just said. This was a guy that for years has been kind of public about, I don't think that I have the same support financially and from my administration as the elite programs in college football. I don't think I have the same things that Ryan Day and Urban Meyer have and had at Ohio State, what some of the better SEC programs have had. Well, new AD, new contract, and a new commitment, and James Franklin's been very public about the fact that whether it's facility, support staff, whatever, that this is the first time that he feels like Penn State is all in on winning at the highest level. Well, school's all in, coming off a seven and six year, And I actually think Purdue is pretty good this year. I've talked about them a lot on the college football betting show. They won nine games last year. They beat Michigan State last year. They beat Iowa State last, or they beat Iowa last year. Purdue's pretty good. But if you're Penn State, if you're James Franklin, and you have been harping for years, you don't have enough. You got to go on the road and get the win. I think this is going to be one of the better games of week one. I really think Purdue, if you want to call it an upset, they're a small home favor, a small home underdog. I think Purdue potentially pulls that upset. Keep in mind, obviously, that being a Thursday game, we'll talk about it on Friday's episode. Let's keep the party going. Let's keep the party going. Number six in terms of the most interesting storylines in college football or things that we will learn, really, uh, coming out of week one. I think we're going to learn how big Brian Kelly's rebuild at LSU is. And, And what I'll say about Brian Kelly, talked about him a lot, I do believe that he's going to be good at LSU, okay? I do believe, I I followed his career since Cincinnati. He was actually at Cincinnati kind of at the tail end when I was at UConn, and I saw him take a good program that he inherited from Mark D'Antonio, who obviously went to Michigan State from there. He took it and took it to another level. And so ever since then, I've been on the Brian Kelly bandwagon. I believe in the guy. But I also do think that I don't think people realize just how big of a mess that Coach O left. And I love Coach O. But this was a program, never forget, the last time we saw them on the field in January in a bowl game, 
they had 45 or so scholarship players. Now, I understand they had some guys leave for the NFL. I understand this is the portal world that we live in. I understand they have injuries. But at the same time, 45 guys. And it's not as though they had an elite recruiting class. Brian Kelly came in late, uh, you know, didn't have a ton of success closing on some of the guys in state. They did do pretty well in the portal. But this does not look like a vintage LSU team or anywhere close. Something that I find interesting, something that I've talked about at length, is the fact that if you look it up, LSU's over-under win total in Vegas is about six and a half, seven, depending on the sports book. So why, why that matters is because if you go based strictly on the Vegas odds, they're viewing eight and four as a good year and seven and five as realistic. That ain't going to get the job done at LSU. And so that's why this game is interesting right here on Sunday when they play Florida State. Florida State is, I believe, an improving program. We talked about it on, on Monday's show. They took care of Duquesne. They won by 40 at home. Three players rushed for over 100 yards in that game. But Florida State is, is kind of a little bit further along, but they're still very much in a rebuild as well. I don't think that Florida State is one of the top probably 25 to 30 programs in college football. And if LSU were to lose this game, I don't think it fares well for when they have to play Ole Miss. I don't think it fares well for when they have to play Arkansas. I don't think it fares well for when they have to play Mississippi State. Essentially, everybody in the SEC West that is on the schedule. And so this is why this game is so important. Now, if you win this game, I think it creates a lot of momentum going into SEC play. Two weeks from now, they will play Mississippi State uh, at home. Uh, Yeah, they play Mississippi State at home in a couple weeks. They play Auburn early in the schedule. That'll create some momentum going into SEC play. I also think if you lose this one, I do think it could be a very long year in Baton Rouge for Brian Kelly, not because he's a bad coach, but because it is a wild situation. That is fascinating to me. We'll talk about the Florida State perspective, everything on on uh, you know on on Friday's show. I will say from Florida State's perspective, this isn't one of the official things that we'll learn, but I think we'll learn something about them too. If they go into New Orleans and get that win. I think that would be a huge win for the Florida State football program. Let's keep it going. On top of, uh, we're now down, what is that? That is six things that we uh, think we'll learn in week one of college football. Let's get to number seven. Last marquee game of the college football weekend is Monday night, Labor Day night, Georgia Tech against Clemson in Atlanta. The game is technically a Georgia Tech home game, but it is being played in uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the home of the Atlanta Falcons, not on the Georgia Tech campus. And what we're going to learn, and I think we're going to learn it in one night, is DJ Uyla the guy at Clemson, okay? And when I look at Clemson, I don't think there is a single more important position in college football than the Clemson quarterback. Because for people who who don't follow Clemson on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, They have a defense that is national championship good. Dabo Sweeney, how about this? I saw him do an interview where he said he believes he could have eight players out of his front seven, defensive line and linebackers, that could be drafted in next year's NFL draft. That is Georgia last year type talent. That is Alabama in some years type talent. That is LSU in their title season type talent. Clemson has that kind of talent this year, including probably about four guys that could potentially be first-round picks just off the defense. But it doesn't really matter how good the defense is, as we learned last year, if the offense can't move the ball. And so I think we're going to learn very quickly, night one in Atlanta, 
if DJ Uyla is the guy. Now, I'm not saying he's going to get benched, but you're playing a Georgia Tech team. How about this? Georgia Tech finished 121st in pass defense last year. They were terrible last year. Yet when Clemson played them, Clemson won 14-3, and they had to hold on for dear life late. This was a Georgia Tech team, by the way, that gave up 30 or more points in more than half of their games. Clemson at home scored 14. And so I'm not saying that Clemson makes the move off of DJ Uyilaganle on Sunday night or on Monday night, Labor Day night. I'm not saying that he gets benched forever and we never hear from him again. But I think we're going to know. We saw a guy that completed 56% of his passes last year, nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions, negative touchdown to interception ratio. And I think we're going to learn really quick if he's actually improved or if he's not. And if he's not, then I think it becomes a, a, a stopwatch, an hourglass, whatever, a clock ticking before we start waiting to see if Cade Klubnick's the guy. I also think, by the way, the opposite could happen. Clemson could get up big. Cade Klubnick could get some, some, some time behind DJ Uliganale, and then we see, oh my goodness, that, that kid's actually better, and then that becomes a ticking clock as well. So it'll be kind of interesting for Clemson, right? If DJ isn't good, then, he, then it's a ticking, t- a, a ticking clock for him. I do think if, he, if he's good enough and they score enough where he gets pulled early and Cade Klubnick looks good, that, that, that could happen as well. So, But I, I, bottom line, end of the day, I do believe that when I look at this Clemson game, we're going to learn. I think by end of Monday night, we're going to know. DJ's the guy. DJ's not the guy. I'm not saying he gets pulled on Monday, but what I am saying is we'll have a pretty good feel. If it doesn't happen Monday, that it will happen at some point, if it will. Final three. Let's be quick on these last three. We're up to number seven in terms of the things that we are going to learn in week one in college football. We're going to get to some of the smaller games. So I mentioned on, on Thursday night, on top of the Penn State-Purdue game, the other sort of marquee game is the revival of the backyard brawl, West Virginia and Pitt. I don't know, what are they, 90 minutes apart? Was once a great rivalry, like so many other things. Conference realignment ruined it. It is being played on Thursday night. I think we're going to learn something about JT Daniels. Remember, JT Daniels, the former USC quarterback, the former Georgia quarterback, is now the starting quarterback at West Virginia. Okay, long winding road for this kid, but I want to defend him. Because I think it's easy to kind of rag on him. He's one of those five-star kids that's bounced around. And was he given too much too soon? Couldn't live up to the hype. I don't think this kid is Tate Martell. I don't think this kid is really even potentially Quinn Ewers, what Quinn Ewers could be. He goes to USC. He starts as a freshman. He gets hurt. He gets beat by Keaton Slovis, who ironically he's going to be facing at Pitt on uh, whatever night it is, Thursday night. And then he transfers to Georgia, and I think this is the part that we forget about his situation at Georgia. He beat out Stetson Bennett for the job, and two seasons ago, he was actually pretty good. I have his box scores in front of me, as a matter of fact, okay? Final, what is it? What are we looking at here? Uh, Final, this was uh, last year. Let's go back to two years ago. Final three games that he got in, in the regular season. 28 of 38, 400 yards, four touchdowns. Second game against South Carolina, mostly ran the ball. 10 of 16, two touchdowns, one interception. Missouri, 16 of 27, 300 yards, three touchdowns. And then in the bowl game against Cincinnati, 26 of 38, 392 yards, one touchdown, one INT. So in four games for Georgia in the 2020 season, JT Daniels threw 10 touchdowns, 
two interceptions, 67% completion percentage, 1,200 yards in four games. I am not great at math, but that comes out to 300 yards per game. That's pretty freaking good. But last year he came in, he gets hurt, Stetson Bennett gets the job and never gives it back. And I think we all just, oh, well, JT Daniels stinks. I mean, another overrated guy. I don't think he's overrated. I think he was, he was actually good. He just lost the job, couldn't get it back, and now he's on his third school. So I think by Thursday night we learn, is this kid like a, a half-decent quarterback, and is it possible that uh, you know West Virginia can overachieve with him at quarterback? Now, obviously, he'd have to be a lot better than we think for that to happen. I don't think it's inconceivable. JT Daniels has a really good game for West Virginia. Really quickly, two other things before we get out of here. Number one. I think for the first time ever, for the first time ever, I think I'm going to talk about Arizona Wildcats football. And what what I'm going to learn is, I think Arizona is one of the most improved teams in college football, at least offensively. Now, for people who don't know all the background, they went 1-11 last year, but they were competitive in a couple close games. Uh, Jed Fish was in first year as the head coach in for Kevin Sumlin, and Arizona, like, on paper win-loss did not look good. They went 1-11. Then Jed Fish did something that no one could have seen coming. And part of it was because there were coaching changes at USC and Oregon. In some recruiting services, Arizona had the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12. That is freaking insane coming off of a 1-11 year. They added Jaden Delora, the quarterback from Washington State who was the Pac-12 freshman of the year a year ago. They added one of the best wide receiver prospects in the country. I don't know how to say his name. Trattoria McMillan, I believe is how you say it. Uh, he was committed to, Oregon's, to Oregon. Mario Cristobal leaves, opens things up, ends up at Arizona. Four-star, could have played anywhere, chooses Arizona. Speedy Luke, running back, kind of hybrid kid out of California, four-star. Jacob Cowing, transfer from UTEP, really talented player. And so I think we're going to learn something about Arizona. They play at San Diego State on Saturday. Really interesting game. San Diego State is opening a brand new stadium. And I think we learn a little bit about Arizona because of the fact they have all this offensive skill talent, but they're going up against the San Diego State team that was top 15 in the country last year in total defense. Don't know if Arizona wins. And I don't think in the bigger picture, like they don't have the guys in the trenches to compete with Oregon, to compete even with USC, with Utah, certainly, maybe UCLA as well. But could I see a scenario where they get to like five wins? I probably could, but they got to take care of business against San Diego State. By take care of business, I don't even mean win. Just can't get embarrassed by San Diego State, and I don't think that they will. Finally, we'll we'll bring it full circle to the beginning of this week. The number 10 thing I think we're going to learn. I think we're going to learn if Nebraska's given up on Scott Frost, Okay. Because, you know, we talked talked all about the Nebraska-Northwestern game. I'm not going to rehash that. But it's been amazing to me. When you play in week zero, what ends up happening? You're the only game in town, the only game anybody watches, and everybody overreacts. And I have seen everybody who covers college football. Paul Feinbaum, myself, um, you know, Andy Staples podcast, Barstool, everything that they do. Everybody just reacting and completely overreacting to Nebraska. And when I, I'm not criticizing other media members because I did the same. But it was like, there were a lot of people that are just like, it, it's over. Like, like, it's not happening for Scott Frost. And I, I think that's probably accurate. But they wouldn't have brought him back if they were going to fire him after one game in which he lost by three points. 
And so I think if the players really believe in Scott Frost, all the players that are there, all the players that stayed, they play North Dakota at home on Saturday. You got to go out and kick butt. I mean, you got to go out and leave absolutely zero doubt. You got to go out and let the world know that just because things happen in Dublin a certain way, you got your coaches back and you are going to do everything you can to help him keep his job. The North Dakota team they're playing, by the way, went 5-6 and six last year. This is not North Dakota State. This is not the Bison. This is not uh, the North Dakota State team that is basically the Alabama of FCS football. This was a bad FCS team. And if you're Nebraska, if you're the Nebraska players, you got to go out and let the world know that you have your coaches back. It's going to be interesting. It is going to be really interesting to see how they respond. As I told you on Monday's episode, two weeks to get right before Oklahoma comes to town. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. Do want to come back? And when I come back, do want to hit on uh, a couple news and notes from camp. How about Jim Harbaugh? How about Brian Kelly? We'll discuss that next. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap. Uh, really, actually, kind of a little bit of a quiet week, as weird as it sounds in college football. You know, it's interesting, right, is that, that week zero is behind us. Week one is coming. And the last couple of days have really felt like the calm before the storm. There just is not much going on. But while there isn't like a ton going on, it is notable because all of these coaches have media appearances, availability, all that good stuff. And so it's not as though no one is saying anything. It's not as though it's June and there's just nothing going on. But it's not as though there's these big mega storylines that we have to get to like I know we will starting as early as next week. So what I want to do to wrap the show, I actually saw three really interesting quotes uh, over the course of the last couple days. One from Jim Harbaugh, one from Lou Holtz of all people, and then one from Steve Sarkeesian that I want to get to. I guess you would call this you know, camp notes or kind of going around. I don't know that any of these three quotes are a segment alone, but I found all three very interesting and, and, and frankly, two of them very funny. So let's get into it. Uh, the first one, let's start at Michigan, okay? So, so on Monday's show, we talked a lot about Michigan. And we talked about their, their, their weird kind of quarterback setup that Jim Harbaugh has decided. In week one, he is going to start the, the incumbent, the guy that was the starter last year that led them to a Big Ten championship, Cade McNamara. 
in week two, he has already announced that independent of what Cade McNamara does, he is going to give the backup, J.J. McCarthy, the start in week two against Hawaii. And we talked about it on Monday, why that could be. Is it possible that Cade McNamara is better, but he doesn't want the backup to transfer? Is it possible that the backup is better and he wants the world to see it so he doesn't have to bench a guy that just won him the Big Ten? If you want kind of the analysis of the decision, go back to Monday's show. But on Monday night, it was interesting because Jim Harbaugh had a media availability and he was asked about the decision. And so he was asked about the decision. I think one of the reporters, whoever asked the question, they frankly had the same thought that I did, okay? So, so my first reaction when I heard this, I mean, I kind of explained why I thought it might happen, but I also did feel like it was kind of an NFL-type move for Jim Harbaugh, right? Jim Harbaugh comes from the NFL. Jim Harbaugh's coached in the NFL, played in the NFL, and this feels like, hey, I'm going to use week one, week two, even week three against UConn, my Huskies, uh, to go ahead and kind of tinker and, and, and kind of figure things out before we get into Big Ten play. And so my thought was, this does kind of feel uh, you know, uh, NFL-ish. This does feel like, hey, is this a guy that's really using the first three out-of-conference games as essentially a preseason? And he was asked about it at a Monday media availability, and he answered it as only Jim Harbaugh could. Here is what Jim Harbaugh had to say about his decision to start two different quarterbacks in the first two weeks, and he was asked, is this some sort of NFL model? Here's what he said. He said, people have asked, how'd you come to that decision? Was it based on some kind of NFL model? No, it's really based biblical, Solomon. He was known for being a pretty, pretty wise person. And so I'm not going to sit here and lie. I don't go, I don't uh, overanalyze uh, Bible verses on this show very often. I'm not very religious, not claiming uh, whatever. I'm not, you know, I don't get into religion or politics on this show. But I saw essentially a translation of what the verse was that Jim Harbaugh referenced. And apparently the translation, and for those of you who read the Bible more religiously than I do, please feel free to reach out privately and let me know if I'm wrong. But apparently Solomon, in the Bible verse that Jim Harbaugh was (laughs) referencing, apparently Solomon cut a baby in half because he wanted two women to have part of the baby. So that was what Jim Harbaugh was talking about on Monday night at media availability, was cutting babies in half to give one to one woman and give one to the other. Can I just say a couple things? One, this is quintessential Jim Harbaugh. And two, I would also say the Big Ten should be very afraid. Now, I'm not saying if you're an Ohio State fan that you're going to go 0-2 against Harbaugh in back-to-back years. But I have found in history, the goofier that Jim Harbaugh is, the more off the wall he is, the more confidence that he has in that exact moment in time. Remember, Jim Harbaugh, when he first came back to college football, it was during the satellite camp phase, you remember that, where coaches could go to parts of the country and host a camp. And so Nick Saban would show up here and he'd show up there and this guy would show up here and this guy would show up there. And Jim Harbaugh decided to do like 50 satellite camps over a 40-day stretch because he was feeling swaggy, he didn't care, he was coming for your recruits, and he didn't worry about who knew it. Now, it didn't really work out, but it was quirky, it was off the wall. If you remember, I think he did one in Australia, you can Google that, but I do remember the, the, the satellite camp phase. You remember shortly thereafter, by the way, when he was camping 
you know, it, it, you know, he was climbing trees with recruits. He was having sleepovers. That was peak swaggy Jim Harbaugh. And then last year we saw some of that as well where if you remember he did all these interviews in the middle of the year when the team's 6 and 0, 7 and 0 going into that Michigan State game. Um, I, I remember the reference. He said something to the effect of, um, you know, he really liked the team. They all loved football. He said something about it warms the cockles of your heart. That is an exact quote verbatim from Jim Harbaugh. I'm just telling you, if he's referencing Bible verses about cutting babies in half, and to be clear, just so it's established, I don't condone cutting babies in half. But when Jim Harbaugh's referencing it, that means that he's feeling really good about his team. Oh, I'd be worried, Big Ten. Michigan is coming for you. Second quote. This, this one's unbelievable. So Lou Holtz, and, and, and I'm not trying to make light on this. I had a thought like four or five days ago. I saw one of those old Lou Holtz you know, videos from when he hosted on ESPN with Mark May, college football final, Reese Davis, Lou Holtz, Mark May. And I literally had the thought in my head. I said, I wonder how Lou Holtz is doing. Like, like you know, we're, we're at this weird point in life where everybody's getting older. And you just kind of forget about people, and then you find out maybe they're not doing too well. And so I was like, I wonder how Lou Holtz is doing. He's got to be getting pretty old at this point. Well, Lou Holtz out of nowhere popped up on uh, <laughs> on Tuesday, and he was giving a speech somewhere. First of all, he looks great, so I'm very happy about that. Lou Holtz, 85. Listen, by the way, social media will tell you Lou Holtz is the worst. Um, Lou Holtz was awesome. He was really funny on all of those college football halftime shows and pregames and postgames. I love the, sp- the, the pregame speeches, whatever. But he looked to be in good spirits. He looked to be in good health. And somehow the conversation about Brian Kelly going to LSU came up uh, at an event that he was at. And here is an exact quote from Lou Holtz on his relationship with Brian Kelly. He said, I wrote Brian Kelly maybe eight positive letters during his time at Notre Dame. And I go to the mailbox every day hoping I'm going to find an answer. He never responded to one of them. So what I would say is, you know, first of all, shout out Lou Holtz. Just glad he's doing well. But then on top of that, um, isn't this like peak Brian Kelly? Like I know I just said it a segment ago when I was talking about the biggest storylines going into week one or the biggest storylines that I think will be the storylines coming out of week two. And I said, I don't really understand why nobody likes Brian Kelly. But I mean, like he doesn't strike me like, like... I, I don't understand why, I, I guess I should rephrase. I don't know him personally, but I don't understand why people don't respect Brian Kelly. Won a lot of games at Notre Dame in a world where we thought Notre Dame was done as a college football power. But at the same time, I do know people that have worked for Brian Kelly. I do know people that have been around Brian Kelly. I don't really know anybody that's like really gone to bat as like, oh, he's a great guy. Like, oh, I, you know, I really like him. Like, he was, he cut the umbilical cord in the, in the hospital when my first child was born. Like, I, I haven't heard that side of Brian Kelly come out. And it's interesting, right? Because when he left for LSU, he kind of did the, the Chris Beard thing. So for people who don't know, Chris Beard, when he left Texas Tech for Texas, Chris Beard kind of did a famous, there's a flight leaving Lubbock for Austin in a half an hour. If you want a job, come on it. And basically everybody except for Mark Adams, who of course became the head coach, uh, got on that flight and came to Austin with Chris Beard. Well, Brian Kelly did like kind of the same thing for his Notre Dame staff, and essentially everybody stayed behind, which is kind of shown, right? Marcus uh, Freeman gets promoted to be the head coach. Tommy Reese is still the play caller. But I bring it up because like it, it, I respect Brian Kelly as a coach, but I've never really heard, as I said, anybody go to bat for him as the, like the world's nicest guy or uh, – 
you know, like the grandpa that you want around or, uh, you know, yeah, uh, I got great memories of him playing with my kids in the backyard and, and, you know, going down the slide with them. Well, apparently it was confirmed by Lou Holtz. Eight messages sent, and I know it's a it's a hyperbolic. I don't have the exact number, but I sent him a bunch of messages. How about Lou Holtz out of left field just saying, yeah, I sent Brian Kelly a bunch of messages. Never heard back. Final quote. I found this one very interesting as well. And again, it's great because we now have media availabilities with all these coaches. Steve Sarkeesian, University of Texas. Steve Sarkeesian had a media availability earlier this week. He was asked about a couple different things, but I found one quote very interesting. He said this. He said, I think our culture is at an all-time high since I've been here. Ultimately, culture gets tested when adversity strikes. Can we keep that bond through the storms and through the rough waters? And I think that we're in the place to do that. And I'll say this. Like, I, I don't discredit any coach for saying anything. I like when coaches say more, not less. So I'm not going to complain. But a couple of things. One, he said, my, the culture's at an all-time high since I've been here. He got there two Decembers ago. He got there in December of 2021, and it was really January of 2021 because he coached in a national championship game for Alabama. So he's been there like a year and change. Um, you know, it'd be one thing if like Nick Saban said the culture's at an all-time high since I've been here, or Kirk Ferentz, or even like Ryan Day, who's been there five or six years now, or Jim Harbaugh, or whoever. Lane Kiffin's been there three, four years, Jimbo Fisher. Steve Sarkeesian's been there 18 months. So that's one. And then two, are we sure the culture's really at an all-time high? I mean, was this not the guy that had to calm down one of his veteran players? Because during spring ball, the veteran said that he was concerned that some of the younger guys weren't doing what was needed to win at the highest level. They were spending too much time down in Austin, downtown Austin, having a good time. That was like six months ago. So it's changed that much since then. And by the way, if the culture's so good, then why did Steve Sarkeesian announce his starting quarterback by releasing a press release to the media as they were leaving a different media availability a few weeks ago. I'll just tell you, listen, I get a lot of stuff wrong. We do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I don't think I'm going to be wrong on this. There's just something not right at Texas right now. Uh, the Quinn Ewers getting the job was weird. There's been a bunch of injuries. There's been a bunch of other stuff. I think Texas will be better. I think they'll make a bowl game. I am not sold that this team is improved, that this team is significantly better. And I'm definitely not sold that the culture is at an all-time high. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Thought we made some good uh, good use out of a, a slow day in the world of college sports. But man, oh man, am I excited for week one, which is coming on Thursday. Uh, Friday, we have a couple really big announcements coming. I am excited for, cannot wait on that. And then, of course, we will preview week one of the college football season. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. 
and boy, oh boy, do we have a doozy on Friday. And then next week, it is go time with so much reaction to week one of college football. It is a great time to be part of the Aaron Torres podcast community. I appreciate all of your guys and girls' support and cannot wait to get rolling on the season ahead. With that said, I want to thank you guys and girls for listening, and I do want to get out of here. Shout-out to Dorrent Craig. Shout-out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout-out to J.J. Reddick, you F-head, unblock me. Shout-out Lou Holtz, by the way. Glad Lou Holtz is doing all right. I'll be back on Friday, new episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. Hope everybody has a great Thursday and Friday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.